Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. In October of 2017, I was honored to be inducted into the Conferio Divino de Porto, the Brotherhood of Port Wine. During the induction ceremony, members swore to fight for the honor of port wine. Well, in this episode of The Honest Pour, I get to keep my word. It was my honor to sit down with David Gimmerains, the technical director and head winemaker at the Flatgate Partnership. Together, we unraveled the complex topic of port wine, talked about what makes a vintage port, and of course, we tasted through his spectacular, newly declared 2016 vintage Croft, Fonseca, and Taylor Flagate Ports. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditer.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditer.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. Joining me today is David Gimmerains, winemaker of the Flagate Partnership. Welcome to the show. It was great to be with you today, John. So David, tell me how you got into wine. I'm always interested to talk to people, <laughs> winemakers, on how they got into wine. Well, I, I consider myself a very uh, lucky person. Um, I've grown up in, in the industry. Um, my family has been making Fonseca Port. We've been with Fonseca Port now for six generations. And uh, I first started accompanying my father up to the vineyards. And, um, and let me put that into context. In the port trade, we have this quite unique situation in the, in the world of wine and the wine industry, where the location where our vineyards are situated, which is the Dordal Valley, the northeast of Portugal. It's this very mountainous region, um, which is only about 100 kilometers inland from the coastal city of Porto. But separating uh, the region from the coastal city is this mountain range. And uh, the, the trade which really got going over three centuries ago uh, was very much that the merchants, that the merchant families who established themselves uh, just opposite the city of Porto on the coast, and they would source the young wines that were made in the Valley of the Dodo. And that is the way the trade developed for, for many years. So the, the local farmers in the Dodo Valley would cultivate the vines, make the young ports. These ports would be brought down by river in the spring to the warehouses, we call the port lodges in Villanova de Gaia. Um, which is on the south bank of the, the, the Dodo River, opposite the city of Porto. And that is where the, the shippers, the merchants, would uh, blend the ports, they would age them, and they did a very important role of taking port to the four corners of the world um, to, to sell the port. And, and so a lot of our history uh, is this geographical separation. Still today, we have our port lodges, our bottling facilities, a lot of our aging in Villanova de Gaia, and the vineyards are in the Dodo Valley. Well, if you go back when, when I was a, a young boy, the, the trip by car from Porto to Pignon, which is in the center of the Dodo, used to take four, four and a half hours. And so that was a trip. And uh, so as a young boy, if I had an opportunity to go with my dad to the vineyards, it was a real adventure. It took and four and a half hours to go 60 kilometers, or 100 kilometers, 100 60 miles, 62 miles. Something that, that now, with, uh, with better roads, with motorways now, takes an hour and a half to right. do. But uh, it's changed significantly. And, and hence, to, to explain why you have this geographical separation, 
um, of the trade. And so that's, that's when I first started going up. And in fact, my first harvest experience was at the age of eight when my father took me out of the Oporto British School for two weeks to spend two weeks at the harvest. And the headmaster at the time turned around to my father. My father's a big, large guy like yourself. And, and, uh, and the headmaster said, you can't take your son out of school for two weeks. And my father said, shut up. My son will learn more two weeks in the harvest than a whole year at your school. <laughs> so I guess something rubbed off and... Uh, Supports quite literally in your blood. It's in my blood. <laughs> now, I'm a huge fan of port. I've, I've been fascinated with it since I got into wine back in the 1980s. But it's a highly complex topic. <laughs> Tell me about the, the styles of port that we're going to taste today. Specifically, I mean, there's a wide range right. of styles of port, but let's specifically focus on what we're going to taste today. Tell me about each each of the okay. styles. Well, I mean, we're talking about complexity. I mean, when you talk about a 300-year-old trade, it's, it's inevitable to have some complexity. The other important point to make is that when we think about port, uh, port as a wine, we're talking about within the world of fortified wines. And uh, that's a, a very important distinction because fortified wines, uh, uh, and, and to put it into context, other fortified wines, we're thinking about Madeira, we're thinking about Sherry. And this is where uh, the, the practice of adding uh, a neutral grape spirit, a wine spirit, to, to raise the alcohol level, that was done uh, to preserve the wines, particularly for their sea voyage. And it's no coincidence that it's, it's the British families who are very much involved in the port trade in Madeira and Sherry, because they would ship the wines back to the UK. And, and so that's how fortified wines uh, had their origin. And so port as a fortified wine uh, has 20% alcohol by volume. If you think about a, um, a California Cabernet. No, <laughs> a California, exactly. A, a Cabernet or Zinfandel, we talk about 15 or 16% alcohol. Um, in fact, in the Dodo Valley, there's some, some producers are making wines, uh, still wines, and again, quite high alcohol, and I call them port for diabetics. Right. <laughs> and, but uh, so within port, it's important to break port down into two distinct styles, tawny ports and vintage ports. A tawny port, we think about the word tawny, the color tawny is brown. These are ports where we will age them in our cellars in wooden, uh, wooden barrels and a young port, which is fruity and, and a, a ruby in color, as it ages in wood in contact with oxygen, it, uh, it smooths, it mellows, and you go from the, the berry fruit aromas into these nutty dried fruit, uh, very walnutty, very complex aromas. Now, is that just the base wine that's aged that long, or is it blended with the spirit to be port at this point? All port will be fortified at the harvest. So, at the harvest. So yeah. when, when we think about port, the sweetness in port is the natural sugar from the grape. It is the addition of this neutral grape spirit to stop the fermentation that you raise the alcohol level up to 20% and the sweetness in port is the natural sugar from the grape. Sure. 
And so the tawny ports will be taking a young port made at the harvest and the option of the, the winemaker, this, in this case, the blender, will be to age the ports in wood for 10 or 20 or, or longer years to get this very nutty, very soft, very rich, and, and a, a style that's become very popular in the US because um, they're very approachable. The other uh, very distinct style of port are the vintage ports, and that's what we're going to be tasting today. And a vintage port is, is the most special of the ports that we produce because a vintage port is selected for its extraordinary qualities, and, but above all else, its capacity to age in the bottle. And port being a fortified wine is naturally, of, of all the wine styles, the wines that have the best capacity to age. So as a tawny, aging in wood in our cellars until they're ready to be bottled. Or as a vintage, a vintage port will be bottled two years after the harvest. Once it is bottled, it will carry on aging in the bottle. And depending on what phase in its life you're drinking it, you will have different taste profiles. Now, as most of the wine world, most of the wine world Every year, the vintage is declared. <laughs> but much like champagne, yes. port, port doesn't declare every year. It's a, it's a very special year. Can you talk about that process and kind of how port is like champagne in that fact and others? I, I love to use this comparison of uh, port and champagne because it also helps us understand a bit about the, the old world, the traditional world, and where inevitably from uh, the longer time that we've been at it, uh, the traditional wine regions of Europe have found the wines that best suit the region that they're growing their vines in. And so that's why I take the other extreme of the, the wine growing spectrum, which is Champagne. And the region of Champagne is a very cool region. It's this cool climate. And uh, where they have difficulty in ripening their grapes to higher sugar levels. And it is through this magical sparkling wine, Champagne, that they found the wine that is most suited to, to take these grapes with low alcohol and high acidity and create this wonderful bubbles that we all love to drink. And when you look at Champagne, you have non-dated Champagnes and you get vintage Champagne. And the reason for that being is the art of the blending. By blending your base wines of different years, you get a very consistent, very good drink. Sure. Where so the consumer knows what they're going to get. Exactly. And that you'll get in your non-vintage. And just like with port, in your special years, your special, your best wines that you can make in some years, you will bottle them individually as a vintage champagne. Well, let's now go to Southern Europe, to Portugal, where, on the contrary to Champagne, the Dodal Valley is a region of hot climate. In fact, it's a region of mountain viticulture. The vineyards of the Dodal Valley are some of the most spectacular wine regions in the world. And it's hot. It's really hot. And in the Dodal Valley, it's on the contrary. We ripen our grapes to very high sugar levels. 
where sometimes they'd almost be too high to make uh, uh, normal wines. And it is in port that we have found the most suitable style of wine for these conditions. Well, it is in the tawny ports and the blended ports uh, and even the, the, the young ruby ports where we, they're not dated. And by the art of the blending, you're creating these beautifully consistent styles. However, when the year behaves, in the best years, what we call the, the special years, we will single out the best parcels of port that we make, and those we will bottle as a vintage port. And what I'm here to show you today is one of those very special occasions because we are, we are on the road um, showing our most recent vintage port declaration, which is the 2016. What was it about 2016 that made it a vintage port, that made it a special year, that made you want to declare it? Okay, well, uh, let me put declaration into context. Um, when we call declaring a year, um, what we are doing is we will only declare a what we call a classic vintage port in the exceptional years. To put that into context, if we go back over the last century, over the last hundred years, uh, on average, we've declared three years in each decade. If you think about it, if you go and look at the different wine regions of the world, um, we all know that some years are better than others because however important we might pretend we are as winemakers, nature still has the upper hand, sure. unfortunately so. And um, what we do in the port trade is what we run our business on our wood ports. So the tawny ports, you know, the, the premium rubies like say a bin 27, late bottle vintage. And we will bottle vintage only when the year is exceptional. 2016 for, for us was as an exceptional year, but curious, curiously, the previous declaration was 2011. We've gone through a five year uh, drought without declaring a classic vintage. And uh, it, it's not because we are um, <laughs> we're full of stocks. On the contrary, the 2011s were so successful, they sold out. But our reputation stands by this evaluation that we do. And if we declare a vintage and the wine's not up to it, we will destroy a reputation which takes generations to build up. So you ask me then, what quality does the year, does the port have to have to be a vintage port? Well, this is where you need to have the sum of the intensity of flavor, of aromas, but also you need tannin, you need structure, which will give you the capacity for a vintage port to age in the bottle. A classic vintage, you've got to have the expectation for it to be able to live for a lifetime in the bottle. So we're talking about at least eight years in the bottle. Sure. And, and that's one of the interesting things about Vintage Port particularly. It used to be that the year of Vintage Port was released, let's say 77, classic right. vintage, beautiful Absolutely wine. classic. If you open that bottle upon its release, which would have been 79, 80, mm -hmm. it, you couldn't drink that. You couldn't appreciate it yet. Are the styles of wine being changed at all? 
to accommodate for that earlier mm -hmm. opening, or are you staying true to that? You know, like like Barolo. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be Barolo. You couldn't touch Barolo for twenty years. Right now, they're making Barolo. You could open up upon release and drink and enjoy and. Sure, you're probably shortchanging yourself because with the 20 years that wine's going to be spectacular. But I'm to the point now in my life where I have a discussion with friends, when are we going to stop buying wines that are going to outlive ourselves, right? <laughs> 2016 port, I'm not going to want to open that for 20, 25 years maybe yet. But can I open it and enjoy it today upon release? There are many, many different aspects to this point, but I, I would say there are two distinct aspects. One of them is the approach that we take as consumers to the wines that we enjoy are very different today than they were 30, 40 years ago. By, by tradition, uh, all wine, be it your Bordeaux's, be it your port, uh, were preferentially drunk when they were old. And at the time, there was a lot of young port being drunk, but when we talk about... But there was more the ruby and... And, and, and exactly that. But what we consider that these incredible ports which have the capacity to age, people would wait for them to age. The palate, and, and here in North America, has got a particular influence on that, is that uh, in North America, you very much appreciate the qualities of fruit, that the fruit dimension. And a vintage port, when it is young, I call it a young vintage, the perfect ruby port. But, and what does it have? It's got a lot of fruit, but yes, it does have a lot of tannin. It is astringent. Um, and it's got bags of tannin, um, but it's actually fascinating as well. But it is different to the same port if you've left in the bottle for 20 or 30 or 40 years where as it ages, it will mellow and soften and it will develop bottle maturity characters, which change the character of the port. So when I look at port or in vintage port, it will have a different taste profile depending on what phase in its development it is. The other aspect, which I think is important to consider is, are we making the ports different uh, to be more approachable nowadays? Well, I can tell you that the three ports that we have here in front of us are still made by the same traditional method of foot treading in granite lagars with human feet. Okay, the people might be different, but the method is sure. the same as when my father was making the 1977. And that aspect has not changed at all. If anything, if anything, if there is one aspect that I will say has changed is the spirit that we use to fortify. The fortifying spirit today is much purer than it used to be. And that for me is the single cause for making vintage port more attractive young than it used to be in my father's generation. So you didn't have to get past that kind of harsh base spirit that... Because in my father's generation, he was forced to buy the spirit from the state. It was, oh, it, was, it was a monopoly, it was supplied by the state. The state used to buy just big volumes. So it was, it was okay, but compared with what I'm able to source today, the, the 
purity, the cleanliness of the spirit, the quality of the spirit I use today, allow the fruit to express themselves much more. And that, in conjunction with the consumer, not necessarily wanting to, to, uh, to wait until they, they have their bond of eminent characters, is actually uh, drinking vintage port young. But like any, any wine enthusiast who has a wine cellar or enjoys following wine, he will, he will have wines which he will drink when they're young, but he will leave some to develop sure, as their exactly. age. And that's where vintage port is. Vintage port is about the wine enthusiast. It's that the wine, the wine consumer who likes to discover the regions, likes to understand different vineyard personalities. He, he wants to compare the 2016 and the 2011. Um, and that's what Vintage Port is very much aimed for. It, it's the consumer who, who enjoys exploring wine. Within that, then, depends on what phase you are in its development to the taste profile. Okay. Great. Should we taste some wine? Let's do it. Okay, what are we going to start with? Well, the first port, 2016 vintage, we're going to taste is the Croft uh, Vintage Port. Croft is if not the oldest, the second oldest porthouse, going back to 1588. And in fact, as a British merchant, it was one of the first porthouses to get actively involved with owning a vineyard in the Dodo Valley with the, the, the property called Quinta de Rueda in the village of Pignon, which is right in the central part of the Dodo. In fact, uh, John Croft, who was very renowned with the work that he did around the time of Phloxra, he took care of these vineyards magnificently. And the personality and identity of the Croft vintage ports are completely down to the style of ports we produce at the whoever property. And so when we're tasting a young port we have here, it, it, it's very fruity. So it's ruby red, it's got a deep ruby red, but aromatically, Croft, uh, with its vineyards in Pignon, and although we're in the central part of the valley, which is neither, neither too hot or too cool, it's wonderfully balanced, it's got a very south-facing uh, orientation, and it's got these very exotic aromas. Uh, of all the vintage pours that we uh, make, the Croft is the most exuberant on the aromas. You get almost a bit of passion fruit, uh, uh, minty eucalypt, which is uh, so distinctive. It's, it's incredibly appealing. Passion fruit. Yeah, that's what yes. that is. I'm, I'm I was digging for it and digging for it, and I couldn't because that's not a it's descriptor not that comes through with port. red wine in general. Yes. Port, nonetheless. Yes. And yeah, it's passion fruit. Crazy and wonderful. It's exotic. Kind of flowers and spices. Exotic, exotic I think, is a Very great much. word for it. Mm. Great texture. And I was expecting the tannins to be much grippier, much higher, but they're super fine. Well, as we taste the different vintages in front of us, what you will see is the different houses have got different textures of tannins, which is an influence of the vineyards that go into it. And the, the crot vintage, not only does it have this uh, very aromatic, very exotic aroma, it's got these very silky tannins. And um, so it's got this beautiful smoothness in the mid palate, very full, and, and that fullness is important to give it the structure to, uh, uh, to be able to age. 
But the, the tannins from Croft, I, I normally say they're coated with fruit. And, and that gives us this beautiful silkiness. Yeah, and, and that is a Croft vintage. Hmm. Hmm. And is that, is that exotic complexity that's typical of Croft, the house in general? It's totally typical of Croft. And uh, this Croft 2016 is made up in a large percentage of these vineyards at Rueda, which were planted just after Phloxrow. We're talking about 90-year-old vineyards. 20, it was 1920. Yeah, it was, it was the, what we say the, three, the first three decades of the 20th century, when the Dodo Valley was replanted after the devastation of Phloxrow. Sure. Great. Uh, what's next? Okay, the next vintage we're going to taste here is the Fonseca 2016. Fonseca as a porthouse is recognized as being one of the greatest vintage port producers. The first Fonseca vintage port was produced by my ancestor back in 1848 and, uh, and very renowned. Fonseca vintage ports have got uh, this extraordinary capacity to age. In fact, Fonseca is the only porthouse which has received four uh, of its vintages, 100 points. And, um, and, and it, it, what you get in the Fonseca is this tremendous depth of black currant fruit. This is the influence of the three Fonseca vineyards, two of which, Cruzeiro and Sant'Antonio, are in the Pignon Valley. The Pignon Valley um, produces ports which have this tremendous freshness and vibrancy of fruit. Um, so we're looking at black currant, but still with, a, with plenty of, of grip, but quite voluptuous as well. I just say, together with Quinta de Panascal, which is Fonseca's third property, which is uh, on um, the, the south bank of the Doro River, which produces also these very rich, um, probably fatter ports, which give the Fonseca vintages, the structure and the dimension, which give it the capacity to age more than any other vintage port in the trade. The aromas to me, compared to the Croft, are, well, you said the black currant definitely is there and forward. There's a lot, a considerable bit of earthiness mm -hmm. here. And that's right. It's, it's more discreet. Um, it's more discreet. And so you were worried about the tannins. Well, here we go. <laughs> They're grippy. You they got, reach out and you grab got, you a little bit, huh? You got the grip, you got the structure. And in fact, uh, curiously, in, in fact, the, the Croft is, uh, is more approachable now. But this, you know, this Fonseca is just, it, it's, it's vibrant. It's, it's, it's dense. Um, and, and, and so you're talking earlier about the 77s, you know. Um, the 77 would have a very similar taste to this when it was young. But I think with the, the purer spirit, the fruit expresses itself even more today. These are not single varietal wines, or single variety wines. They're, they're, they're a blend of grapes. How many grapes are you blending? Are they vinified separately? Are they... How, how, tell very, very good process. question. So the vineyards that were, were planted after Phylloxera, um, these were vineyards which were planted completely as field blends. And which is very Portuguese. 
It is very Portuguese and it's very wise. Because if, if you take a region of hot climate, one of the best ways to balance your wines in this extreme of hot climate is uh, the mix of different grape varieties, where some varieties will give you color, some will give you tannin, but some will give you flavor and some will give you acidity. And what happens in the Dodo Valley is that there are four grape varieties which will always predominate. Um, they might vary in percentage, but then you get a string of other grape varieties, probably another half a dozen uh, grape varieties which are there in smaller proportions, which will contribute to the balance and the personality. And um, the selection of those grape varieties will also be done as a function to where your vineyard is located. Because some grape varieties will do better in a more exposed location, others will do better in a more shaded uh, location. And mountain viticulture, where you have so much variation within a short site, if you use this puzzle of your different grape varieties, not only will you make um, the most balanced wines, but also you'll get wines where each vineyard has got its own personality. Plus it's also healthier farming, having a polyculture rather than a monoculture. Oh, totally. And, and, and uh, you know, when it comes to clonal selection, we now understand that it's a mistake to go down single clones in all agriculture. Sure. Well, what has happened in, in recent years, and particularly in the 1970s and 80s, is there was a, um, a, a drive to try and reduce the number of grape varieties to try to promote more consistency. And it did do that. But we, we quickly learned that although we were becoming more consistent, um, we weren't being as complex. And nowadays, when I plant a vineyard, I will plant the varieties separately. But when it comes to the fermentation, I co-ferment because they complement each other at the time of the fermentation. And I am actively working with 11 different grape varieties across our vineyards. Although four of them will still be the, they'll make up 70% of uh, what we plant. Before we get into the last wine, okay. I have one more question for you. For I wanna, it's a bit of a curveball, a bit of a departure of the conversation so far, but we talked earlier about maturing port and how long we should wait for, for, for to drink our vintage ports. For you, when, when, when do you think vintage ports are in their drinking window? How long really, where, 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 when should we drink them optimally? Great, a very important question, and particular where in your audience you have some people who are curious to taste uh, vintage port, but not may not be so comfortable as to when should you drink it. Now that's probably one of the most important questions here. When should you drink a vintage port? Well, let's let's break down our vintage port into maybe three different phases in its development. A vintage port between when it was bottled at two years of age and 10 or 12 years of age, it will be your fruit which is your predominant character. It will be your intensity of fruit and, um, and if you enjoy that youthful fruit in a port, you get so much enjoyment out of a young vintage port. I'd say, and even more so, when a vintage port is between 
uh, five to 10 years of age, where it's had a little bit of time to, to come together. Fruit is very much the number one character, but you're already starting, your tannins start to uh, integrate and smooth them. And what a great drink to have with your chocolate dessert. So that is a real accompaniment with, with your dessert, with a good cheese, and it is absolutely delicious. Then a vintage port will go through a second phase in its development, which is between the, the 10, 12 years of age, and really it's 22, 25 years, where your bottle maturity starts uh, prevailing, and, um, and gradually your bottle maturity uh, becomes the predominant character. So your, your spiciness of the spirit, that beautiful, almost uh, uh, spiciness that comes through, but it's still got plenty of fruit there still to, to, to hold it strong. Then after 25 years of age, and from there forward, then your predominant character will be completely your bottle maturity and uh, the tremendous complexity that only time gives. But the fruit will be there in the background to give it its richness and its character. And so um, the, the question, uh, you, you might say, when is the best time? Or I would turn it around and say, when do you want to enjoy it? Or um, what do you have in your, in your cellar to open or what can you get hold in the wine shop? You know, what's available? But don't be scared of opening a vintage of different ages, but it's good to know what to expect. Yeah, it's, it's you know, if you're not going to invest in, t in the case or a half case, I like to buy three bottles of vintage. Yes. One to drink young, one to drink kind of in that middle time, and one to just lay down to... Let's get all together. <laughs> well, there is, uh, there is no doubt. A half case is, is okay, but if you want to be safe, get the case. Get three cases. <laughs> exactly. One case for now, one case. <laughs> one thing is, is certain. Vintage port is the safest bet for anybody who wants to put bottles of wine down because it just continues to age and develop. Well, it's made to age and develop. Exactly. And you cannot say the same thing for many of your wines. And, and quite frankly... A terrific value compared to the rest of the wine world. I mean, obviously, you can't go to your local wine shop and buy yourself a 77. Mm -hmm. However, on the secondary market, you, you can. can find plenty of 77 port out there. Yes. At a price that's not all that expensive. For, for, for a wine of its age, it's, it's outstanding value. It's age and it's rarity. If we think that we're only selecting the occasional year, vintage port is considered to be the best value for money, fine wine of the world, undoubtedly. And this 2016, in fact, is important. It's a, it's a very small declaration. It was a very small harvest. And uh, across all of the different port houses, we've produced anywhere between 20 to 30% less than usual. Wow. So I would suggest you... Go out and get your 16 now. Get, get your case. And, uh, and if you put it at the bottom of the pile in your cellar and forget about it, well, you'll probably be thankful. Good, good for you, you, right? <laughs> but try it as well. Drink it. For sure. So what's our last wine? Well, the last vintage that we have here is the Taylor Fladgate 2016. And Taylor Fladgate um, also has three vineyards. 
and its flagship vineyard is a, a Quinta, a Quinta is an estate in Portuguese, called Quinta de Vargelas, which is a vineyard in the more eastern part of the Thold Valley, which is the, the more arid, uh, drier uh, part of the region. But it has this characteristic that it is north-facing. Being north-facing um, in the northern hemisphere, uh, by mid-afternoon, your sun goes over the brow of the hill. And so the, the vines get relieved of the scorch at the end of the afternoon. And what that does, and when you compare with the Fonseca, for example, where the Fonseca got this rich black currant fruit, the, the tail of Fladgate is more discreet. It's more uh, floral, more violets. And, um, um, but it is tremendously, the, the purity of the tail of Fladgate is fantastic. The Vargelas Quinta will then be blended with uh, two of Teo Fragate's other quintas, also in the Pinal Valley, which are Quinta Terra Feta and Quinta do Junco, and those components will give you the roundness on the palate. And the tail of Fladgate then has got this very, very distinctive nose compared with other porthouses. It's the porthouse which will have... The violet really comes through. Oh, the, 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 the violets and... And I, I say discreet, this is the sort of port that you want to fill a glass and you go and sit in the chair in the corner and you keep discovering. You're discovering different aromas, different complexities. Then on the palate, the Taylor Flaggates are also renowned for their firmness, their grip. And, oh, yeah. Um, and, now I see um, why you pour them in this order. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of grip and a length on the palate, which, uh, which is uh, very characteristic. Of the acidity is nice and high, though. It elevate, the acidity elevates it. And that's very much the year. 2016, um, as far as the Doro Valley goes, was a fairly cool year. And they've got this purity of fruit is very much also because of this great acidity. And, uh, and not all uh, years have it. Mm. And then on the end, there's this nice, complex spice that comes it's, into play. A bit of... Uh, cranberry, a bit of um, lots of spices, they're just going on and on. Wow, lovely. But with grip and this nice dryness on the finish. I, I, want, I really want a good hunk of Skelton right now. <laughs> there's no greater joy in life than in than a nice glass of vintage port and a hunk of creamy, tangy Stilton. I love that together. But John, but you can see there, there's no crime in drinking a vintage port young. No, these I are mean, drinking beautifully now. Look They're at drinking this. beautifully yeah. now. I think the youthfulness shows the elegance of all of the separate elements of the wine mm -hmm. rather than the harmonious marriage of those elements, which we find later in its life. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes, I hope you've enjoyed them. Oh, David, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure tasting the wines. It was a pleasure talking about port with you. I could, the show could be four hours long and I wouldn't have finished my questions. But thank you so much for your time and I uh, look forward to enjoying the 16 ports in the future. Thank you, John. Great. Thank you very much. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. 
Music by Kevin McLeod. 